It is Wednesday, April 5th, 2023, and welcome to episode 203 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. I'm Jessica Jones, NSI Deputy Executive Director, and today I'm joined by Lester Munson, NSI Senior Fellow and our own gray-haired Gandalf, and Shamil Jaffer, my boss and part-time Ramadan observer. So today, we're going to give you a break from all the... (laughs) Part-time? There's travel exceptions. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> there is a travel. There's a trigger. today. We're going to give you a break from all the Trump trial headlines and instead talk about a story that the New New York Times reported over the weekend focused on Saudi Arabia's push for nuclear power. For years, Saudi Arabia has pressed the United States to help it develop a nuclear energy program as Saudi leaders look beyond oil to power their country. But according to officials, talks about a nuclear partnership have dragged on and on, largely because the Saudi government refuses to agree to conditions that are intended to prevent it from developing nuclear weapons or helping other nations to do so. As a rule, the U.S. requires countries to meet high standards of nonproliferation before cooperating on nuclear program, including in some cases banning uranium enrichment and fuel reprocessing in their territory. These details are you know, put together in a one, two, three agreement, which the State Department negotiates uh, with advice from the Energy Department. And this agreement is also reviewed by Congress, which can block it. Thus, even if Saudi and the State Department agree to sign a one, two, three agreement, they could place, they could face political obstacles from Congress. While Saudi Arabia has been trying to renew talks with the U.S. by offering to normalize relations with Israel in exchange for U.S. cooperation on a nuclear program, at the same time, Saudi officials are also exploring other options with other countries, including China and Russia. Um, it should be noted that Saudi Arabia recently joined the China-led Shanghai cooperation, and China just brokered a thawing of relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran, a topic we covered here on Fault Lines. So, Jamila and Les, like, to start off with, you know, what do we make of just generally Saudi Arabia's nuclear ambitions? Um, are they purely for civilian purposes, or where do we see that going? Les? Well, I think Saudi Arabia is uh, interested in nuclear power for a number of reasons. One is, uh, of course, it, it will help them with their domestic power issues. Uh, a second one, realistically, though, is because Iran appears to be developing a nuclear weapon. Uh, so it makes sense uh, in Saudi minds for them to be taking steps towards uh, nuclear capabilities generally. Uh, so let's let's just be realistic about that. I think it's it's a crazy idea that the United States would not be seeking to cooperate as much as possible with Saudi Arabia on peaceful nuclear power issues. Uh, and it's good the U.S. has been negotiating with Saudi for for several years, but I think the administration ought to ought to make some compromises here and take steps to make this actually come to fruition rather than hanging their hat on a perfect deal or uh, be concerned about what some of the implications are. I'm not saying to ignore them, but I'm saying that compromises might be necessary here. It's vastly better that the U.S. be involved with Saudi Arabia on the nuclear front than any of these other countries. And if Saudi Arabia is serious about pursuing nuclear power, which it is, then it is not going to stop if the U.S. decides it's it's too good for this uh, this sort of arrangement. So we should we should get down uh, on be on the ground, be smart, be uh, kind of Machiavellian about this. Work with the Saudis. We have a ton of mutual interests. We may not agree with them on all of the values issues. But we we have a ton of mutual interest. Be crazy not to be working with the Saudis on this. Yeah, I'm generally I'm generally in the same place Les is. Although I I'm, I want I'm interested to know what Les thinks these concessions ought to be because if the concession is no gold standard, right, and not holding them to the same requirement that we hold held the Emiratis to, which is no domestic enrichment of uranium, 
to me, that's hugely problematic from a from a nonproliferation perspective. It is the one thing that 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 sort of holds the line between a civilian nuclear program and a nuclear weapons program, or at least the ability to develop it. So, less is that what? I mean, what are you talking about when you say no? We might be Look, might there, have to make the some U.S. The U.S. has the civilian nuclear cooperation with uh, over twenty five countries in the world. We have we have many of these one two three agreements. They are not all at the gold standard. We have made compromises in the past when it's in our strategic interest to do so. When our partner country has certain limitations, they're they're not going to adopt. Uh, and so we should we should just be clear eyed about that. And if we need to compromise in a couple of areas, so be it. Yeah, I tell. I mean, I totally disagree with that. I think I think that would be a huge mistake. We are in a region of the world where we know we it, because because we acceded to it. The Obama administration agreed to allow Iran to enrich domestically. Uh, we're in a situation where the, where the risk of proliferation is dramatically higher than probably anywhere else in the world. Um, the Saudis are likely to try to build a nuclear weapon if, in fact, um, we um, the, the Iranians build one or announce that they're getting close to building one. Um, and so this idea that somehow we can work a civilian nuclear program, not require not not require the gold standard, the domestic enrichment, uh, the elimination of, a, of any of any domestic enrichment. Um, I think we have we dramatically increase the likelihood of a proliferation, the likelihood of, a, of an early Saudi bomb. Now, yes, could they go to the AQCon network uh, from Pakistan and go to North Korea and get technology? Absolutely. Would it take them years to do that? Yes. And so us giving them nuclear technology and, and them being allowed to do domestic enrichment would rapidly accelerate that. That, I think, would be a mistake. I think if we're going to do a one, two, three deal, we've got to do it with, at the gold standard. And yes, you're right, Les. There are a lot of other agreements about the gold standard in them. That should not be what we do here in yeah, this region. Yeah, that was going to be my time. question to you, Les. I mean, in this particular region, I mean, it seems like the short-term game for a long-term problem, which is what. So we've got nuclear weapons with Iran and Saudi. How does that play out? Like, what do we do to handle that situation then? Or yeah, what would the U.S. do? Look, realistically, Saudi is going to do what is in Saudi's interest to do. And if they want to pursue nuclear weapons, they're going to pursue nuclear weapons. We can't stop them from doing that. What we can do is be involved with them and be a partner with them and seek to mitigate the damage of some of those decisions and be a partner with them and not push them into the arms of our adversaries where we're not going to have any restraint at all. And so we've we've been for the last uh, certainly for the last two and a half years and even to some extent during the Trump administration, kind of taking this values oriented approach to Saudi Arabia and expecting them to behave the way we want them to behave based on our values and our, which, which I hold dear. Uh, but we're like, realistically, Saudi is not the United States of America. They're in a different neighborhood. They have different concerns. They have a different kind of government. Uh, we need, we just, we should be realistic about that. We need to have a much more grounded approach to Saudi generally. And I would include cooperation on civilian nuclear, uh, agreements like this. So Les is talking about values based, but Les, Congress has never blocked a one, two, three agreement. So if the U.S., though, is writing on this values-based approach to Saudi, is, Cong is this going to be the first one, two, three? If one was to be broke, to be, to be uh, put together by State Department, is this the first one, two, three agreement that's going to be blocked by Congress? What do you think? Well, obviously, it depends on the details. Uh, and the U.S. should be negotiating the best, the, the best deal that's most likely to get through Congress. But let's, let's remember, the bar is very high for Congress to stop a civilian nuclear deal. You basically need two-thirds of the Senate and two-thirds of the House to stop one of these things from going forward. That's incredibly difficult to do, particularly if the president is supporting the agreement and whipping his party 
uh, and working on a compromise with Republicans, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really difficult for Congress to block one. You hear it here. Less is against U.S. values, everyone. Um, with that, that's a wrap. Thanks to Brooke Agacon from NSI and Claude Jennings for their help producing today's episode. Join us again on Friday for another episode of Fault Lines, the podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security debates shaking up America. And if you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 